Welcome to the Bob Siegel Show podcast on the Cross Global Media Radio Network. Visit cgmradio.com slash bob to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. And welcome to the Bob Siegel Show. And as you just heard, this is the announcer uh, that you just heard opening up the show. This is Ryan Holland, host of World News Brief here on the CGM Radio Network. And I am guest hosting for Bob Siegel today. And I'm very excited because I have the extreme privilege and opportunity to interview the one and only Bob Siegel on Bob's very show. So, Bob Siegel, welcome to the Ryan, Bob Siegel Show. Ryan, it is show. such an honor for you to have me as a guest on my own show. This is a dream come true. It, isn't, it, isn't it to be a guest on your own show, to be uh, to have the announcer of your show, hosting your show, interviewing have, you uh, on your show? Yeah, I've been on the radio long enough to a lot of times have guest hosts when I'm out of town. But for a guest host to then bring me on, it's, this is something new. I, well, we thought we'd have some fun, ladies and gentlemen. Let me explain. Ryan is here in California, and Ryan and I have been on the radio a lot together, usually with one of us on Zoom and the other one in the studio on the mic. I, I've been a guest on World News Brief. I've uh, We're together on uh, CGM's Crosstalk. But he's in California, so we wanted to get together. And when Ryan and I talk, there are times he'll pass on apologetics questions that he's heard from his kids, from his friends, from a family member. And he's got really great answers to these questions too, but it's always fun to get somebody else's take. So I thought, well, why don't you come on my show this time and you ask me the questions? And then it seemed weird. Well, it's my show, so I'm bringing him on to interview him for the purpose of interviewing me. Seemed easier to just give him the show let him be the host let me be the guest so take it away ryan there you go there you go no that's exactly right i'm, I'm out here visiting we just uh, recorded a world news brief together make sure to check that out at cgmradio.com where we delve into or do we even want to discuss that actually I'm gonna... If we mention what political thing we did, we'll be dating this show in a year from now or so. We won't be able yeah, to okay. repeat Let's it when we're up. both out of town and neither of us can do the radio. So we won't mention on what's going on in the world right now, yeah. which is quite menacing and quite ominous, but we won't mention it. We won't mention it. We, we won't, won't mention, mention it. it. So tune into World News Brief uh, just in general. I'm, I'm sure it'll be around. If you're it, listening yeah, to the in, original in the broadcast, you know what we're yeah. talking about. If you're listening to a year from now. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah, exactly. So let's uh, let's dive in. So what I wanted to do, we're going to record a, a couple shows. Today's show is going to, to have to do with the Christmas season. There's a lot of there's apologetics questions uh, that are very pertinent to the Christmas season. Of course, uh, any aspect of the scripture is going to be challenged by skeptics. And one of the things, so what what this is what this show is going to be is just going to be like a fusillade of apologetics. Christmas questions that I'm aiming towards Bob. So we're aiming the anti-Christmas cannon towards Bob today. It's all-out warfare, and it's war against Christmas today, which you did a show on, actually, just recently. But we're doing it uh, not from a, a cultural standpoint, necessarily, of an attack on Christmas, uh, the culture of Christmas, but on really just questions having to do with the Bible. So here's uh, here's what we're what we're gonna we're gonna hit. We're gonna hit genealogy. I want to talk about Herod's slaughter, the innocence. We're gonna talk about the Christmas star, the Magi, the Messianic prophecy, and the Virgin Birth. So that's kind of the roadmap. So let's start off with the genealogy. So one of the things that skeptics will quickly bring up when they start reading the Bible and they read 
the Christmas stories or they see a posting online or something like that is that Matthew and Luke have completely different genealogies of Jesus, which shows a massive contradiction, uh, uh, irrefutable, unexplainable contradiction in the scriptures. There you have it. The Bible is not inspired because there are two different genealogies of Jesus. Well, I'm going to try to perform a miracle even greater than the virgin birth and wow. give you a short answer. Oh, wow, that will be a miracle, folks, especially after the World News Brief that we just, <laughs> right. we just recorded. Yeah, yeah. But, but it was all great, though. It was all brev- great. Brevity was not my middle name on that show, only because I just did a show called The History of Christmas. It's just from a couple days ago, and I deal with some of this in detail. So let me give you a quick answer now. And if you think I'm begging the detail, well, then just go and listen to my show called The History of Christmas. Starts with the history of the biblical story and then even goes on to where different Christmas traditions develop. And I'll put a link to this in the the show notes of today's podcast. I'll put the episode number and a link to it so that way you guys can, if you want to listen to a longer answer from Bob on uh, this this question of the uh, genealogical contradiction, you can find that very easily also at cgmradio.com slash Bob to get to his show, as you heard me announce at the beginning of this of this broadcast. So please. Okay, so short answer. Matthew is giving the genealogy of Joseph. Luke is giving the genealogy of Mary. I know it doesn't say that. However, it, it does mention in Luke that Joseph was Jesus' father as supposed. And the moment he says as supposed, he's giving us a clue. In those days, if somebody did not have a son to give the inheritance to, the son-in-law of this person, the person that married his daughter, the inheritance could be given to him, and he would be the name in the genealogy because it was a very patriarchal culture. And I'm not justifying that kind of culture. I'm just saying that's the kind of culture they had in those days. But there are other reasons too, and this is why you want to hear this other broadcast, because even though they're two different genealogies, they both go back through King David whom the Messiah had to be related to. One goes back to King David through the kingly line. One goes back to King David, not through the kingly line. They both had to be there because there were problems with one of the kings in the kingly line called King Jehoiachin. God put a curse on him and said, none of his children can ever sit on the throne. Well, then how can the Messiah come from that kingly line? This is where the virgin birth gets very interesting. And that's all I'm going to say. You can hear a lot more detail. On my Christmas show. Wow. That was not that bad, was no, it? No, that right? wasn't bad. That it, wasn't that... as long as I've been known Ladies to be. Ladies and gentlemen, we have our first official Christmas miracle. Only because um, I blather on yeah. so much on the other show that gives you the detail. Hey, but it's what it's what it's what makes your show the best show in the history of podcasts. So no, that's that's great. Uh, so yeah, definitely check that out. Like I said, that'll the full answer will be in the show notes. Okay, so maybe on this one, uh, you can use your gifting and expound a little bit more. Another one that skeptics will point to having to do with Chris, Christmas has to do with Herod's slaughter of the innocents in Bethlehem, as remember from the Christmas story, uh, King Herod, who is just uh, an erratic, uh, maniacal uh, piece of work of an individual, is is concerned because the Magi come to him, and they say that a, a king has been born in Israel, the Messiah, the king's been born in Israel. And this, of course, uh, disturbs him quite a bit because he was ultra, we know from history, he's ultra paranoid about uh, any threat to his lines where he's willing to, you know, kill his own children and stuff even. So, but what they'll say is, so Herod then orders the slaughter of what children under two years old, I believe in, in Bethlehem. And, and so skeptics will point 
to this and go, well, there's no historical record of this. There's no historical record of this happening. You would think something so big, so large on this, this massive slaughter of innocents would be recorded by Josephus or someone else in history, but it's not there. So it, so it, really, it, it really shows that this was just made up by the gospel writer. First of all, in those days, like today, you don't write history until it becomes history. I did a debate with somebody one time, and he got out this great big overhead screen, and he listed all these historians who were big and popular as historians in the days of Jesus and mentioned that they didn't say anything about Jesus. And I got up and I said, yeah, because Jesus wasn't history yet. He hadn't changed the world Yet, what historian in Greece gives a rat's behind about some Jewish carpenter that's in Galilee, even if he was important to the Jews and their weird God? So that's the first thing we've got to understand. Second, we do have a historical record. It's called the Gospel of Matthew. The Bible's documents hold up very well historically. But I understand. I understand people are saying, well, we need something outside of this body of work we call the New Testament. Okay, the question we need to ask ourselves is, is it plausible? Is there anything about this that contradicts King Herod. You just mentioned yourself, Ryan, that we do know historically from other sources that he was very paranoid. Well, paranoid is the mildest way we could put it. He was a paranoid murderer. Without hesitation, he killed members of his own family, including some sons, including his own wife. He would kill people at the drop of a hat. There's a saying that survived from those days that says, I'd rather be one of Herod's pigs than a member of his own family. And if you're thinking it's weird that a Jew would own pigs, Herod was not actually Jewish. He did marry a woman that was part of the Hasmonean dynasty, going back to the Maccabees that liberated Israel at the time of the Hanukkah story when they liberated Israel from the evil dictator Antiochus Epiphanes. He married into that and received received from the Romans who had conquered the land, but would allow certain puppet rulers in different jurisdictions. He received the title from the Romans, King of the Jews. Now, if you've ever wondered why Magi coming from the East would go to King Herod, having read the Jewish scriptures, and then go to him who has scribes that might know the Jewish scriptures even better than they do because they're Jews and say, where, where is he who is going to be born King of the Jews? Two questions that come up. Think about what's going on in Herod's mind. He's already called king of the Jews. That is literally his title. He's not even Jewish, but the Romans have given him the title king of the Jews. And he's hearing about somebody else who's the king of the Jews. What does history immediately tell us about this man and what he would want to do? Get rid of them because he was a bloodthirsty murderer who loved power. But the second question, and this is a very valid one, why would a man in his 70s be concerned about some baby that had just been born when the guy in his 70s is obviously going to be dead by the time this baby becomes a man and he rules as king? That makes a lot of sense unless you're paranoid and delusional, which Herod also was. So there's nothing about Herod that wouldn't suggest that he couldn't have done this. But Bethlehem, it's really big to us these days because it's on all of our Christmas cards and it's in all of our Christmas carols. Bethlehem was just a modest little town in those days and no Roman or Greek historian is going to really care about something that went on in Bethlehem because one of their puppets went and, and killed some people. It just, it wasn't it was horrible to the people it happened to. It wasn't big news well, uh, to and, anybody else. Yeah, so and, they're not going to write about it. And speaking of, of that, 
not not being big news. I was reading something, uh, an article recently about it, which uh, uh, which really I hadn't thought about this in a while, but really got the kind of wheels turning on it. Where they said it could have been somewhere Bethlehem was so small, it could have been something like twelve babies that were slaughtered, which is which is twelve too many. We're to not the, to make, the mother to one mother. Right? That's, yeah, yeah, that's too much. But in terms but of historically, that would not have been not considered like a big was, deal. It's not like this was like thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands. Like people like us who think of a city might think of Los Angeles, California, every baby under two or something like that. Uh, to this was a small town. This could have been a, a dozen or a couple dozen babies. Exactly. And one of the things we need to remember that to the outside world and some of the Roman historians, Jesus is not going to become news to a Roman until he starts making Roman news. They don't care what kind of religion the Jews have. As long as they're also paying their taxes to Caesar, they actually gave the Jews a lot of freedom to administer their own affairs. It would only be when Christianity starts reaching the shores of Rome and there's riots in the streets and there's all kinds of commotion and now the Roman police are concerned. That's when we would first expect Rome to take notice about Jesus. And that's exactly what we have during the reign of Nero when Emperor Nero blamed the great fire of Rome on Christians. Tacitus, who was a very well-respected chronicler and historian of those days, writing about the time of Nero, not long after, says, oh, and there was this sect of people called Christians, and they got their name from Christ, he used the word Christos, who was executed under Pontius Pilate and said something very interesting because Tacitus not only wasn't a Christian, he apparently didn't like them. He didn't think Nero should be murdering them, but he was not a superstitious man. And as a pejorative, he was calling the Christians superstitious. And he said something fascinating. He said that when Pontius Pilate executed Jesus, he said, this checked the pernicious superstition for a brief time, but it broke out afresh in Rome. Well, what would break a superstition? Well, he tells us the death of Jesus. If the death of Jesus stops a superstition, and by saying superstition, he's acknowledging that people were attributing miracles to Jesus, obviously. If his death stopped it, what would make it break out again? Obviously, a rumor that he'd risen from the dead. I'm not saying Tacitus believed that rumor. He clearly didn't. But that's good news historically, because here we have somebody who's obviously not a Christian, obviously not a believer, and he's saying that Jesus exists, that he was executed under Pilate, and that there was a rumor, some kind of rumor. He's vague about it, but it looks like he's talking about the resurrection. Now, there's another historian named Josephus who had been a Jewish general captured and while living in Rome under luxury, he's a long story about how that happened. He writes a history of the Jewish people for his people, the Romans. We know for a fact that Josephus was not a Christian. However, when giving a detailed account about the reign of Pilate to be thorough, there's this one quick paragraph and it's like, oh, and during this time there was a man known as Jesus the Christ. He was executed. He did many miracles and he appeared to his followers for three days afterwards. And he says that very matter of factly. Obviously, if, if he was a Christian, he would have spent a lot more time talking about it. Very casual chapter. He had been a member of the Pharisee party. He, he had no problem believing that there might have been someone named Jesus who rose from the dead, but he wasn't following him. He wasn't calling him God. He wasn't calling himself a Christian. All to say that historians do acknowledge that Jesus existed, but when it was when it made news 
that they reported on it. What happened in Bethlehem under Herod didn't make news. Yeah, and and it com- it completely makes sense. And what it is to me is, I mean, is this not a, a classic logical fallacy, which would be an argument from silence? Uh, essentially, well, no historian uh, wrote about it, and they're making this big assumption. Well, surely they would write about it. Well. You know, it's it's and as you've said, it's so nuanced uh, historically, and it wasn't something in a small village that yes, like you said, to us is this Bethlehem is one of the most important cities in the world. Now, but now, it wasn't but it was back nothing. then. It, it wasn't. Was, it was absolutely then. nothing. Okay, it's like driving through Gila Bend, Arizona, to stop and get some <laughs> lunch on the way to Phoenix. Yeah, no, it, it is so. Okay, now moving on from. That I want to talk about one of my favorite and always around the Christmas season. I, I love there's something about the story of the Magi and the Christmas star that is that to me is so personally captivating. I absolutely love it. I've I've even thought about writing about it and all the different scenarios you could do, and I've researched them and that kind of stuff. Uh, what what do you think about the uh, first the Magi? Um, it who who were these guys? Who do you think these guys were? And what do you think they were following? Well, we we do know historically that Magi existed. They they were in Babylon. They were in Persia. And there was a time, remember, when the Jews were captured and taken to Babylon for 70 years. The Babylonians were conquered by the Persians. The Jews continued staying in Babylon, but they were now living under the Persians. Right. So they changed landlords right. while they were there. Daniel, you'll recall, became very popular. Uh, he was, I mean, he was thrown to the lion's den stuff at first, but they eventually respected him, saw that God was with him. He was given a place of prominent authority, very much like the story of, of Old Testament Joseph in Egypt. And so they also had this group of people named Magi. They were like astronomers. They were very wise. They were very knowledgeable in science philosophy. They were very interested in religion. They probably did not believe that the God of the Bible was the only God of the universe. But in addition to other gods, they probably had great respect for the God that Daniel worshipped. They would have had some access to some scripture, although apparently not as much as they wanted. That's why they went to King Herod. They knew that his scribes would have some official copies of what we call the Bible and, and what they would have called, well, they wouldn't have called it the Old Testament. They would have called it the Law and the Prophets. That's what they would have called it. But they were also astronomers. Now, people get confused because they see the word astrologer there in the translation. Astronomy and astrology are two different things. And the Bible actually forbids astrology or anything in the occult, any supernatural apart from the real God doing a miracle. But in those days, one could be an astronomer and called an astrologer. And the signs of the stars, what the astrologers call the signs of the zodiac, where they use it to read your life. Astronomers identified those stars with those pictures. They identified those long before they became mystified. Anyway, so we have some people that uh, they weren't necessarily in any one country. These were just real uh, advisors that were sometimes used in several countries. 
at least Persia, at least Babylon. The, the, the Bible says they came from the east. That's probably the area they came from. So being familiar with Daniel, Daniel gave a calendar of when the Messiah was going to ride into Jerusalem. He actually gave it to the day. Yeah, he did. Now to go back and guess from that day to exactly when and where he would be born, that took more. But there was also a prophecy. So they knew that there would be a star as a sign. They knew from Daniel the general time. And apparently they saw some unusual star in the sky when they were close within maybe months, within maybe a year of the time that they tried to extrapolate that Daniel was talking about. And they took a trip to Jerusalem to find out and go to the king and see if we could get a better look at their scriptures. And then, of course, the king goes and he finds a passage of scripture talking about Bethlehem as the place. Now, I know there's all kinds of speculation. Could it have been a comet? Could it have been an alignment of the planets? It may have just been an actual star that they, these are, if these guys are astronomers, they're going to recognize a star. They go, boy, this doesn't, this doesn't seem to fit in <laughs> with astronomy as we know it. Maybe this is the supernatural star that right. God was talking about. Now, I I always used to wonder about this idea of the following the star till it shines right on the house. Well, it doesn't actually say that. What seems to have happened is they they go to the king. See, they're not following the star to Bethlehem. They're going to Jerusalem where the, the king is going to be. They're hearing that Bethlehem is the place. And when they got to Bethlehem, I believe they just suddenly saw that same star that they'd seen perhaps back in Babylon, they saw it up in the sky again. Doesn't mean it was shining on the exact house. Uh, By the way, they were living in a house at that time, which means that Jesus might have been two years old, because as we talked about before, anyone two years old or younger, they were estimating he could have been born today, could have been born two years ago. But Joseph and Mary were residing there now. They're not in the barnyard with the manger. That's uh, that's why they they developed this tradition that that the wise men came 12 days later. They Definitely did come later. The 12-day part is, is tradition. But Joseph and Mary are actually living in Bethlehem. They're, they're residents from Nazareth, but they're living in Bethlehem at this time until God warns them to get out of the way. And I think they just, they heard they should go to Bethlehem. They went to Bethlehem. Suddenly they see the star and they're saying, okay, he, that this confirms it. What Herod told us through scripture, our astronomy is confirming this is the town where he's going to be born. So how did they find the house? Okay, well, like we said, Bethlehem may not be a big deal in to anyone in the world living outside of Bethlehem at this time, but we know that the birth of the Messiah, which became real public in Bethlehem through shepherds, angels coming and singing, that got some attention when Jesus was born. Who within Bethlehem wouldn't have known where this baby was born? So the star confirms that, yeah, okay, the king was right. The king's scribes were right. He is in this town. The star confirms that they're in the right town. I'm sure somebody just told them which house to go to. Okay, so that, now to follow up, and a few days from now, if you're listening to this uh, podcast in 2020, and it's not a replay on a, on a future uh, future Christmas season, but either way, it, it's relevant. On December 21st, 2020, it's been reported everywhere that there is this mega alignment of Jupiter in Saturn, something that hasn't happened since the Middle Ages, literally 800 years since this has happened. Jupiter and Saturn align. They call it the Christmas star. Do you think that this has anything to do with the star or conglomeration of stars that the Magi were following? It is a very common theory. There are a lot of books, like I mentioned earlier, there's that, there's the fact that it could have been a comet. Again, I'm not an astronomer, 
if an astronomer were here right now and wanted to debate astronomy with me, I'm not a scientist, I'm not an astronomer, but as someone who studies the Bible, I'm inclined to believe that even though that's a fantastic thing, the God of the universe creates planets that could be in alignment, and it's just an amazing thing to look at, and it's amazing that it only happens every few centuries. I, I don't think that's what they're talking about there, because we'd have to be talking about them seeing that alignment back in Babylon or wherever they came from. And remember, they couldn't just hop on a shuttle and get to Jerusalem or a plane and get there. And it took them a long time. to. Get, it's all the Middle East to us, but they had. it took them a long time to get there. We're talking probably a journey of, of several months. And yeah, the so camel caravan. It, it would have to be the kind of thing that they see yeah. it and then they get to Jerusalem, and but it's not there. But then as soon as they get to Bethlehem, they see it again. I mean, yeah, that, wouldn't be that a good itself candidate. sounds so miraculous. It's To me, it's just easier to believe that this was some special supernatural manifestation of, of God. It doesn't. Sure. I realize that when we look at planets from a distance, they look like stars, but the Bible says it was a star, and it's apparently a star that does not fit into the star chart as these astronomers in those days knew it, and I, I just think it's a miraculous virgin birth. I think it was announced with a miraculous star. I, I find that actually, I realize a lot of scientific minds don't want to accept a miracle, I have to say, if you don't accept the Bible, which is a book of miracles, then why are you going through so much effort to try to demonstrate, well, that maybe it happened this way, or maybe it happened that sure. if it's a If it's a book you don't believe in, just say you don't believe in it. That's fine. I don't agree with you, but it's an academically honest position. I'm not convinced the Bible is accurate history. I'm not convinced it's the Word of God. You can say that. But to say, well, no, these miracles didn't happen, but boy, but maybe this happened. I always find that intriguing. Why are you? Why are these people trying to justify the Bible if if they don't believe it. Now, having said that, I know there are a lot of Bible-believing, born-again Christians who do accept the virgin birth and still like the planet theory. So I'm not saying every person that's come up with that theory does not believe in the Bible either. I'm just saying I think it's a lot easier to say this was a special manifestation of God because, again, we'd have to get to this alignment of the planets happening a few months before. Then they get to Jerusalem. They're not seeing that alignment of the planets. The minute they get to Bethlehem, they align again. Yeah, That's just... Yeah. At that point, well, I, it's easier for me to say God's in control and he put the star up to show them they were in the right place, not because the planets just happened to align. Yeah, there's, there is there is that option. You know, I know uh, a book that uh, was popularized or became popular a few years ago called The Great Christ Comet, where they say that it was a comet that traveled, that the Magi followed. It, it's actually a very compelling... Do they have to change the lyrics of the song, Comet of Wonder, Comet of Night? Well, you know, yeah. it's... It's, it's going to uh, change all could. our Christmas yeah. carols, Ryan. <laughs> I don't I think know, this is going to work okay, any. Okay, so it it definitely cannot be true because that is way too much If work. we're going to have to rewrite our Christmas yeah, carols, there's nah, no way it could it be true. Throw it out. It's this is apologetics at its yeah. finest, <laughs> ladies and finest. gentlemen. Learn, learn from us. Learn from us. Okay, you mentioned the virgin birth. We're going to end off with this. Okay. Come on, Bob. Come on, Bob. A lady gets pregnant without a dude. Really? I mean, this is this is ridiculous. This is where it's like, okay, let's send you to the loony bin. This can't happen. The virgin birth idea, this really is kind of ridiculous. You're getting into fairy tales. No more difficult and frankly a lot less difficult than God creating Adam out of the dust of the ground in the beginning. And if we don't believe that either, fine. But ladies and gentlemen, we all believe in miracles. It just depends on what word we want to use to hmm. call it that. 
There are times when people get miraculously healed in hospitals where they're supposed to die. And suddenly the cancer just goes away and there's no medical explanation. What they write is recovery reason unknown. They never write the word miracle. But that's exactly what they're talking about. Doesn't mean God's waving a magic wand. It just means that he knows some things about science that we don't as the one that created scientific law. And how does the salmon swim upstream to find by instinct the place where he was born so that he can go and die. Oh, it's in his DNA. It, it's nature. Okay, those are all fancy ways of saying we, we don't know how that happened. Yeah, you could say DNA, but who programmed the DNA code? Why does a chameleon change colors to match his surroundings? Well, because that's just the, you know, evolution and random selection. Just there's something presently in the DNA of chameleons that allows them to do that. DNA, what is a DNA? It's information. You can't have information without somebody relaying the information. There's got to be some sentience behind it. So I'm just saying, if you look at this universe, it's far more implausible to imagine a universe and scientific law that came about by randomness without a God. The moment we accept that it happened through a god, then this same god who established scientific law could either have laws that we don't know about or could have ways of bending his own laws because he is the one who dictated them in the first place. Well, and a lot of these same uh, people who might give this objection, they themselves believe that the universe came into existence out of nothing, that there was nothing, right? And then poof, there's the universe. I mean, if that's not a miracle, yeah, much yeah. more than the virgin birth. Yeah. I don't know what is. And, how, and you talk about fairy tales. We all know the fairy tale of the frog that gets kissed and turns into a handsome prince. You give a frog to an evolutionist, so that frog will become a prince too. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. It, it's amazing. Well, we'll end off with that. Bob, I want to thank you so much for coming on your own show. You know, I could have invited anybody on the Bob Siegel Show, but I chose to invite Bob Siegel. And I want to thank you again, Ryan, from the bottom of my heart for having me on my show and interviewing me. You're welcome. On my show. You're welcome. You know, I'm I'm a gracious individual. I'm I'm a giving individual, and so I figured this was not it's a Christmas season. I always season. dreamed of being on the Tonight Show, but what better honor than to just be on my own show. Exactly, exactly. No, uh, thank you so much. This was a great conversation and uh, look forward to doing it again with you soon. The Bob Siegel Show podcast is a production of Bob Siegel and Cross Global Media. Visit us online and subscribe to the show at cgmradio.com slash bob. Bob.